Prophet Muhammad drew a line in the dust. He was sitting with his companions. And he drew a line in the dust. And he said, This is my path. Then he drew a series of lines to the right of it and a series of lines to the left of it. And he said, At the head of each of these paths is a devil inviting people to it. And then he recited the verse from the Quran. وَأَنَّ هَذَا سِرَاتِي مُسْتَقِيمًا فَاتَّبِعُوهُ وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا السُّبْلَ فَتَفَرَّقَ بِكُمْ عَنْ سَبِيلِهِ ذَلِكُمْ وَصَّاكُمْ بِهِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Verily this is my way. We do sit. Follow it and not the other path. They will scatter you about from his path, from the path of Allah. That is his command that you may become pious. So the path the correct path is one. The paths of bid'ah, the paths of deviation are many. And there is a devil at the head of each and every one of them calling people to them. The devil, shaitan, may be a man or he may be a jinn with men working for him or whatever. Because Allah talks about shayateen al-jinni wal-ins. Min al-jinnati wal-nas. The shayateen, the devils, are among men as well as among the jinn. Bid'ah may be divided into two main categories. One involving additions to the religion. Additions of statements, acts, or beliefs by establishing religious evidence not mentioned by Allah or His Apostles. That is, something has been added to the religion. As the basis of a particular act or something said or a belief which does not have the approval of the Prophet the other type is a deletion, something taken away from the religion, which involves either denying something which Allah has said or the Prophet Muhammad has said, or it may involve neglecting something which has been commanded, either directly or by misinterpretation. We find people falling into this situation fundamentally due to ignorance of the religion, due to a lack of knowledge. And ignorance is in fact a curse. This is why Prophet said, Talabul ilmi farida ala kulli Muslim. Seeking knowledge is compulsory for every person. Because deviation, shirk, disbelief, <coughs> paganism, all of this is a product fundamentally of ignorance. So it is essential for anyone who wants to sincerely worship God 
who wants to sincerely be a righteous person that they become knowledgeable in the religion doesn't mean that they have to become a religious scholar but they have to read to attend lectures to ask questions to seek knowledge until they are clear about the fundamental principles and practices of Islam they need to know that as thoroughly as possible and it is not something which ends you know you study okay I'm going to study for one year I'm going to study under this sheikh I'm going to read these books and at the end of the year you're finished no because the knowledge is something continual the knowledge of Islam is vast we should never feel that we know enough because when we feel that actually we have been tricked by Satan because we never know enough the knowledge of Islam is so vast no individual single individual can encompass all of it so there's always something to learn something more to understand and we are human we are, there's always room for growth so we should always be seeking knowledge Allah has said in the Quran Ya ayyuhan nas kulu mimma fil ard halalan tayyiban wa la tattabi'u khutuwat ash-shaytan innahu lakum aduwwun mubin O people eat whatever is in the earth which is halal permissible and good and do not follow the footsteps of Satan for verily he is an open enemy to you إِنَّمَا يَأْمُرُكُمْ بِالسُّوءِ وَالْفَحْشَةِ وَأَنْ تَقُولُوا عَلَى اللَّهِ مَا لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Verily, Satan commands you only to evil acts and speech and he commands you to say about Allah what you don't know to speak in ignorance very dangerous it's from Satan and it leads to hell the Prophet had said there are three types of judges one in paradise and two in hell as for the one in paradise it is he who knows the truth and judges by it. The one who knows the truth and deviates in his ruling is in hell. And the man who judges for people without knowledge is in hell. Somebody comes to you and asks you to tell them what should they do and you don't have knowledge. For you to tell them what to do you are preparing your own seat in hell if you don't know you tell them I don't know you quote for them the verse in the Quran ask those who know when you don't know I don't know so better you ask so and so we should never feel ashamed you know, people, it becomes a thing of pride. 
somebody comes and asks you a question for you to say I don't know you can like lowering yourself in the eyes of these people but this is not you may lower yourself in the eyes of that person but you have raised yourself in the sight of God because that is the correct way honestly you have saved yourself and you have saved that person by you giving that person a ruling based on a lack of knowledge you have cursed yourself and you have cursed the person ignorance of the language of Arabic can also lead to be that those of you who come from non-Arabic speaking cultures I'm sure there are many many different practices that people do wherein if they actually knew what they were saying or what they were doing they wouldn't do it one practice which comes to mind uh, common amongst those in Sri Lanka is that when they greet each other they will touch hands saying Allahumma salli ala Muhammad this is not a method of greeting when you greet you say salam alaikum peace be on you it doesn't make sense for you to greet saying peace and blessings be on the Prophet Muhammad it is nonsensical it doesn't make sense in Arabic and it is in ignorance of this that people would do something Bid'ah also is caused by an ignorance of the Sunnah itself which may be due to an inability to differentiate between authentic traditions of the Prophet and inauthentic traditions of the Prophet there are a number of things which have been attributed to the Prophet which are not authentic for example I've seen people who when the adhan is given and, and they say وَأَشَّدُوا أَنَّ مُحَمَّدَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ you'll see them kissing their thumbnails and wiping it on their eyes what is it you will find some fabricated traditions which attribute this to Prophet actually to Adam <coughs> but conveyed by Prophet but this is as I said fabricated such practices are bidah and there are no end of similar practices that you may find it may also be due to an ignorance of the importance of the sunnah to Islam you find some people will quote verse in the Quran in Surah Al-An'am verse 38 in which Allah says مَا فَرَّتْنَا فِي الْكِتَابِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ Allah is saying we have not allowed anything to escape from the book in other words the book contains everything so they say fine the Quran contains everything no need for sunnah or anything else you have the Quran that's good enough however they have taken this verse out of context 
because there were so many other verses where Allah says obeying, the Prophet is obeying Allah that the Quran was revealed to the Prophet so he may explain to you what it means there are obviously a number of things which the Prophet has clarified for us which if we read the book it would not be clear so when Allah has said that nothing has escaped the book means that the meanings which were meant to be conveyed by the Quran have been conveyed either directly in the text of the Quran or indirectly through the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad because it has told us to follow the Sunnah in that way everything has been encompassed not literally that every single thing may be found in the text of the Quran that is a misinterpretation of the verse and the Prophet had said concerning this concept that there would come a time when a man would recline on his couch and he would be told one of the traditions of the Prophet and he will say between you and me is the Quran what we find in it halal we will make halal what we find in it haram, we will make haram. However, Prophet said, whatever the Prophet has made haram is like what Allah has made haram. And in another narration, he mentioned that it is not mentioned in the Quran that the domesticated donkey is prohibited but that he by his own statement is prohibited eating the flesh of the domesticated donkey and it is not in the Quran directly but it is in the Quran indirectly this is why on one occasion when Abdullah ibn Mas'ud had said that the uh, plucking of eyebrows is prohibited a woman came to the Prophet came to him this is after the time of Prophet and said is it in the Quran that plucking of eyebrows is prohibited and, and Ibn Abdullah Ibn Mas'ud said yes he said well I read the Quran from beginning to end I didn't find any verse in there where it said so he said didn't you read the verse whatever the messenger has given you take it whatever he has forbidden you leave it well Allah's messenger said that Allah curses the woman who plucks her eyebrows so, this is that understanding that everything is there either directly or to the Sunnah indirectly another major area in which people fall into bid'ah 
is by submitting their will to other than Allah and His Messenger. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah means that we submit our will to Allah and His Messenger. We're submitting our will to Muhammad as the Messenger of Allah in the things that he has conveyed to us from Allah. Because Allah has said obeying the Messenger is obeying Allah. So we are submitting our will to Allah by submitting our will to the commandments of the Prophet Now to submit our will to anyone else becomes a source of bid'ah or cursed innovation in the religion. Thus you find the Shia have deviated. Shiites. They've deviated because for them they follow what they call the Imams. Descendants of the Prophet Muhammad some who were designated as being leaders of the Muslim nation. Twelve. Also you find amongst Sunnis, Orthodox Muslims, submission to what they call the Madhab. Where in this Madhab, this is what we do, so we do it. We submit our will to the Madhab. Madhab meaning school of law. But this is wrong. And it has led a number of people into deviation. Because the schools of law are a product of human reasoning. Scholars of the past attempting to apply the Quran and the Sunnah interpreted these two sources of Islamic law for us, but they were human beings. And as such, in their rulings and interpretations, they were mistakes. So if we follow them blindly, if we submit our will to them, then we are likely to fall into bidah, into deviation. And this is why, on one occasion, when Imam Malik, one of the founders of these major schools of Islamic law, he was asked by one of his students, if we follow one of the companions of the Prophet Muhammad blindly, if we follow everything they do, these are one of the companions of the Prophet. And we know Allah has indicated His pleasure with the companions of the Prophet Muhammad Some of them the Prophet Muhammad have specifically designated that they will be amongst the people of paradise. So the, so the student of Malik was asking, if I follow one of them, just choose one and I'm just going to follow whatever he did. Will I be on the correct path? Imam Malik said, no. Unless that companion of the Prophet was correct. Because the truth is only one. There is only one truth. They were human beings. And as such, they made mistakes. So we are only allowed to follow what we know to be correct. And the only individual, the only human being, we will follow blindly is 
the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad As the Christians, followers of Jesus, were obliged to follow him blindly, and the companions of the previous prophets were obliged to follow their prophet blindly. Because they were receiving revelation from God, and whatever they received, the followers were obliged to accept. In the case of the spiritual movements, generally classified under the heading Sufi movements, we find them deviating by following what they call the peers. You know, these individuals who are put on a saintly kind of status, wherein they are able to tell and to do things which you do not question. You as a follower of this path, for you to follow it correctly, you must submit your will. You do what you are commanded to do. Once you do that, for any human being, you will go astray. For sure. The common masses, they go astray by submitting their will to the customs of their people. The customs or the culture. You show somebody, listen, you know, the Prophet Muhammad said that we should do this. They say, well, you know, in our country, we do this. They will follow what they do in their country and leave what the Prophet Muhammad said to do. This is deviation and leads to bid'ah. Now, to sum up, the issues of Sunnah and Bidah. We can say first that the principle of Sunnah and Bidah is not new. It is not something which came about in the time of Prophet Muhammad and the time which came after that. No. This principle existed with Adam, the first Prophet, السلام, and all of the Prophets following. It is incorporated, this principle is incorporated in the universal declaration of faith taught by all the prophets. Each prophet, whether it's Prophet Moses, Prophet Musa, he would say, La ilaha illallah, Musa, Rasulullah. He told them, their declaration of faith was that there, was, there is no God but Allah, and that Musa, Moses, was the messenger of Allah. Each of the prophets had their own declaration, all linked together by the declaration of belief in the one true God, but also linked by submission to the prophets that were sent. This is universal. So wherever that principle exists, that there is a command to follow the way of the prophets, then the opposite of it, bid'ah, is also going to exist. So this principle of sunnah, the way of the prophets, and bid'ah, deviation from that way, this is a universal principle, which has continued from the time of the first man and first prophet, Adam, salam, and will continue on till the day of judgment. Now, its general significance, the significance of the principle of Sunnah and Bid'ah, is that 
it ensured the purity of the religion and the correct worship of God which is the fulfillment of human purpose as long as people followed the principle of the sunnah and avoided bid'ah, the deviation then they were certain they were on the correct path, the path brought by the prophets and they were able to worship Allah as they were commanded now in Islam the final message in its final form because of course when we say Islam we know that Islam refers all the way back to the message brought by Prophet Adam through to Moses to Jesus to Muhammad it's all Islam but in the final message that we have embodied in the Quran and in the Sunnah of the final Prophet Muhammad we find a particular significance in that it distinguishes between true religion and the sea of human deviations and inventions what distinguishes between true religion of God what is truly the religion of God and what is not the religion of God due to people either deviating from the true religion or from people inventing their own religion is this principle of Sunnah and Bidah the way of the Prophet following it closely and avoiding deviation from that way and when this principle is lost then what we find is what the Orientalists like to call folk Islam folk Islam or we could call it cultural Islam Islam which now becomes a culture which changes from country to country from society to society you've got a different version of Islam wherever you go right? that kind of Islam is no different then than the other isms Christian, you know, Christianity or Buddhism Hinduism all the other isms that we find we'll find that they carry common principles with this cultural version of Islam so it is essential for us to realize the principle of following the Sunnah giving it precedence over all other decisions in our lives and avoiding deviation changes in the religion in any way, shape, form when we look at Christianity what we see is a classical product of Bidah classical Jesus even in the Gospels themselves is described as falling down on his face in prayer Moses is described similarly and Aaron and David in the Old Testament the prophets describe falling on their faces in prayer and Christians commonly in the church they kneel they do not persist classical example of Bidah you ask them where did this kneeling come from Jesus is not recorded as Jesus he is falling on his face 
Well, it came from somewhere, somewhere along the line it came along. The Trinity. You, all you have to do is go to any encyclopedia and you read that the idea of the Trinity came about at a specific point in the history of Christianity. 325 AD, the Council of Nicaea, a decision was made in which the Trinity was decided to be the correct concept of God which would be imposed on the whole of Christendom, the Roman Empire. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three gods in one. The Pope, the robes of the Pope, the hierarchy of the Church, all of the different things that you find when you look at Christianity, you see it is a product of deviation. People adding human beings, making changes, setting up structures, etc., etc., for God only knows what reasons. Today I was looking in the paper, and they showed a picture in Yugoslavia of nuns who were demonstrating over some issue, I forgot what it was. It was an Arab news. It's in the page that, where they have the article, People Maker or something like that. Newsmakers. And they have this picture. When I first saw the picture, I thought it was a picture of Muslim women. Because they're all covered except for their face. In Yugoslavia, this orthodox sect of nuns still retain the dress of the prophets. Prophet Jesus, the women around them, even in the Christians when they make their pictures, they like to make pictures of God and Jesus and you know all these different things. Among these things they'll make pictures of you know Mary Magdalene and the other women who are around Jesus. And whenever they paint them, they paint them covered all except for their pictures. Because historically it is known that's how they dress. Yet, the vast majority of the women in Christendom don't follow this. The Sunnah, the way is lost. And they will argue with Muslims about why are you covering the women up like this? This oppression of the women and all these different things. Because they have lost track of what was in fact the true teachings of Jesus. Jesus never ate pork in his life. But the masses of Christendom eat pork, with the exception of the Seventh-day Adventists. This is all examples, just classical examples of Bidah. We can see what that has done to Christianity. It has changed the teachings of Jesus to such a point that people now, instead of worshipping the one who Jesus told them to worship, who is God, they now worship, in general, Jesus as God believing that they worship God and when you look into Islam you look into the practice of Muslims you will find that wherever they have deviated from the Sunnah from the way of the Prophet Muhammad you find them falling into like practices practices very much like those of the Christians the Hindus the Buddhists etc. So, that summarizes the significance and importance of Sunnah and Bidah. And I hope, inshallah, that this has shed some more light on this very important topic, which we need to keep conscious of 
in our daily lives not just as a principle that we have noted a fact that we have put somewhere in our brain but something which we have applied in our daily lives see because if we don't take it on as a practice then our desires our desires even though we know the truth can lead us into Bidah we may know what is actually the Sunnah but our desires for one thing or another can cause us to fall into Bidah we have to be very very careful Inshallah, I will give you all an opportunity now to ask any questions you'd like to ask concerning this topic. And um, if we have no questions on the topic, or if we, have, if we have exhausted the questions on this topic, then we can look at some general questions concerning Islam. <coughs> What about those people who created it, like, you know, now we speak of various mothers. Well, it's just like in the case of Prophet Isa. Prophet Jesus is worshipped by much of Christendom. Will he be punished for the fact that people worship him? No. Because he is not, uh, he does not want that worship. He didn't ask for that worship. He called people to worship Allah. So he's not held to account for what people do after him. Similarly, those people who we consider to be the founders of the schools of Islamic law, these scholars did not set up a particular school in such a way that they wanted people to follow only what they said. And, no, no, no. This was not their way. All of them emphasized to their students, the people who studied under them, that they were human beings capable of mistakes. That if something is authentic for the Prophet Muhammad that is what we must follow. And whatever they say which contradicts it should be rejected. There are no endless statements similar to that by the leading scholars of these schools. It is the latter day followers who have gotten into a kind of rivalry which leads them to, you know, follow blindly one particular school over another and over the Sunnah itself. Now my question is, do you take it that it is wrong to follow this Mahab? And if it is wrong, are the followers of this Mahab categorized as history? One, the following of a madhab is not in and of itself wrong as long as one does not follow it blindly. You see, it's the blind following. This is what is known as taqlid in the full sense. The blind following, this is what is wrong, which leads to deviation. But if one follows, for example, in any given country, there will be one school or two schools of Islamic law which are the basis under which Islamic uh, teachings and practicing practices are taught. One follows the, any of these schools, one or both, 
with the intention of trying to follow the sunnah as closely as possible. If evidence comes to the contrary to whatever they're doing, which is coming from Prophet Muhammad they at that point leave what they're doing and follow the evidence, then the following of the madhab in that fashion is perfectly okay. Because they're not in fact following the madhab, they're really following a collection of the sunnah and an explanation of its application. But when they follow it blindly, this is when now they lead them, put themselves in a situation of deviation, potential deviation. Well, as I said, it could be due to ignorance, it could be due to cultural preference, you know, could be due to, you know, a variety of different But this is why we said, knowledge is compulsory. That's why Prophet Muhammad said that. That knowledge is compulsory. It is the duty. You know, I am not going to say that a person who follows the madhab is in kufr. No. It might lead the person to kufr. You know, if those who represent that madhab are, are following practices of shirk, you know, worshipping other than Allah or worshipping through others besides Allah, and then you follow that believing you're following the madhab, yes, it could lead you into shirk, it could lead you into kufr. It's quite possible. But I'm not just saying, because you follow the madhab, you will be in kufr. No. That potential is there. Well, see, celebration of birthdays, I mean, probably something even greater is the celebration of the Prophet Muhammad's birthday. This celebration, what we call the Maulud or Maulid, or, you know, different names it gives you. This is Bidah, the classical example of Bidah. In the sense that it is a religious act. When a person celebrates the birthday of the Prophet, he believes or she believes that they are doing something pleasing to Allah. Because what is religious is whatever we do believing that it is pleasing to Allah. This is the definition of worship. Whatever we do believing that it is pleasing to Allah. This is worship. So when we celebrate the Prophet's birthday, we are doing so believing that it is pleasing to Allah. Now this act of worship that we are doing, do we find a sanction for it in the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad No. The Prophet Muhammad did not celebrate his birthday, nor did he command his companions to celebrate his birthday. So therefore, such an act becomes an act of bid'ah, of deviation. If we now go to the celebration of an individual's birthday, we can say here, this is not an act which a person does believing that this is pleasing to Allah. It is not a religious celebration. We don't have religious connotations on it. This is something from our day-to-day, you know, custom. This is what we can say. So it doesn't fall directly under the heading of bid'ah. 
prohibited, cursed innovation in the religion. However, we have to look at the origin of the celebration of birthday. That's what we have to look at. And when we look at it, we need to go back to the Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica, and look under the heading of birthday. And it explains to you in there that birthdays, the celebration of birthdays, was an ancient pagan custom. The custom of the idol worshippers of Europe. It was one of their customs. It is not from Islamic tradition. Unheard of amongst Muslims. Until contact either from the period of colonization, colonialism, or where Islam reached some of the pagan peoples who had these practices and it reached it in a weak form in which the people did not get a clear picture of Islam so they carried these practices over with them. So it becomes a pagan practice which we are imitating. And the Prophet ﷺ had said, مَنْ تَشَبَّهَ بِقَوْمٍ فَهُوَ مِنْهُمْ Whoever imitates the practices of a people is like them. So, though the celebration of our birthdays, our children's birthdays, may not be bid'ah in and of itself, in the religious sense, it is something at least despised and most likely haram in Islam, because of it be having a pagan origin from the practices of the pagans. And naturally, the sending of the birthday cards, you know, is from the same vein. And this is that European, you know, colonialism practice which has evolved out of the pagan practices of birthday celebrations. Well, you see, we wouldn't do it this way because, for example, the Prophet in the way in which they perform marriages, they had uh, some customs which Prophet followed. It has been understood by scholars throughout, you know, the Muslim world that any custom which may be followed in a country which do not contradict the teachings of the Prophet are acceptable. It's what they call or or the norms, the customs of the people. Customs of the people are okay as long as they don't contradict some clear commandment of the Prophet and as long as these do not in and of themselves have pagan implications you know for example in America we have a thing which they call Halloween you know this is a custom of Americans in October they wear 
masks and wear costumes and collect sweets and these kind of things. When you go back into the origins, you find that this had pagan uh, religious ritualistic uh, beliefs behind it. And as such, such practices for Muslims is not accepted. Where it doesn't have these kind of implications. Where it has these implications, it now is not allowed. But where the customs of the people have no such implication, there is no harm. It's just like, for example, names. If a person from the West has accepts Islam and their name is, for example, Michael or John, these names, because when you look into the origin of the meaning of these names, they have no bad implications. Such names are okay. Such a person is not required on accepting Islam to change their name. However, if they have the name, for example, like Dennis or Diana, these names are prohibited. Because Diana was the goddess of love. Right? For the Greeks, Romans. And Dennis was the goddess from Dionysius, was Bacchus in the Roman Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salam ala rasul al-kareem Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi Wa man istanna bi sinnati la yawm al-deen Our praise due to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings be on his last Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day In the course of almost every single a lecture or talk which I've given to you over the past year or so, we find the questions arising concerning Sunnah and Bidah. And this is not something which is unique to the talks which I've had with you all, but this is something I found you know, wherever I've given talks and wherever I've attended talks, these issues have arisen. Is this Sunnah and is this Bid'ah? Which indicates that the Sunnah, knowledge of the Sunnah and knowledge of what is considered to be Bid'ah are something, represent two principles which are essential for Muslims to understand in order to avoid confusion in their practice of religion as well as in order to ensure that they are in fact following the correct path which has been ordained for them by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to look at these two principles I will first begin with the sunnah Literally, the sunnah means a way, or course, or a rule, a mode of doing something, or a manner of acting, or con- conduct of life, whether good or bad. 
whether approved or disapproved. This is the literal or linguistic meaning of the word Sunnah. And it is this meaning that you will find when the Prophet speaks about Sunnah Hasana and Sunnah Sayyah as in the Hadith wherein he said Man sanna sunnatan hasana falahu ajruha wa ajru man amila biha ila yawm al-qiyamah that is whoever does a good sunnah sunnah hasana he will get the reward for this as well as the reward which anybody else who does it gets until the day of judgment and he also went on to say woman sanna sunnatan sayyah falahu and whoever does an evil sunnah, sunnah sayyah, would carry the burden of that evil sunnah. And he would also carry the burden of whoever follows him in doing that evil sunnah until Yawmul Qiyamah. And this is without decreasing the sin which is on those who do it, nor the reward on those who do the good sunnah. And also you find the statement of Prophet wherein he said, لَتَتَّبِعُنَّ سُنَنَ مَنْ قَبْلَكُمْ شِبْرًا بِشِبْرٍ وَذِرَاعًا بِذِرَاعًا That is, you will follow the sunnah of those who came before you. Shibr, the shibr that is really the palm's width, we could say in English we usually say like inch by inch, foot by foot, you know that you, this is what Prophet Sallam referred to what would develop amongst Muslims as time passed, that they would follow the ways of the people before. This is the linguistic meaning of the word sunnah. In the technical sense, from a religious point of view, in the science of hadith, the term sunnah refers to whatever is attributable to the Prophet Muhammad of his statements, acts, the things which he approved, descriptions of his physical uh, state or his character, as well as his biography, before or after the beginning of his prophethood. And this usage of the term sunnah by the scholars of hadith is synonymous with the term hadith. According to the scholars of legal methodology, what we call usul al-fiqh, the sunnah refers to statements, acts and approvals conveyed from the Prophet Muhammad And it doesn't include the descriptions of himself, his biography, etc. And of the things which are approved, for example, just to make that clear to you, we had a particular instance during the time of the Prophet Muhammad wherein he told his companions after one of the battles, he told them 
لا يصلي أن أحدكم العصر إلا في بني قريبة that none of you should pray after except in the settlement of the tribe of Qurayza. Now, the companions set out from Medina to the settlement of the tribe of Qurayza. On the way, the time for Asr came. The Prophet ﷺ was not with them, but they had been told by him not to pray after except in the settlement of Bani Qurayza. So some of them said, fine, we will just continue until we reach Bani Qurayza and we will pray after then. Whether we reach there within the time of Asr or after the time of Asr. Another group of them felt that really what Muhammad was doing was by making that statement was encouraging them to hurry to reach the settlement of Bani Qurayba. But that the prayer of Asr in its time is something which cannot be neglected because so much of the Quran, so much of the Sunnah indicated that the prayers should be done within their correct time frame. So they stayed and prayed and the others went on. Afterwards, it was brought back to the Prophet Muhammad what happened. And he neither reproached those who delayed their prayer because what happened is that those who went on ahead, by the time they reached Bani Qurayza, it was time for Maghrib. So they prayed after in the time of Maghrib. He did not reproach those who did so, nor did he, you know, specially commend those who prayed after on the way. So this represents what we would call an approval, something which the Prophet Muhammad approved. He approved of the practice of that, those companions in, in praying after in the time or in the place of uh, the settlement during the time of Maghrib as well as he approved those who prayed on time on the way. This doesn't mean for us that we can now start to pray after in the time of Maghrib. But this was something which the Prophet Muhammad commanded which had two possible interpretations. Because these two possible interpretations existed, and the Prophet Muhammad did not specify one of the interpretations, then it was correct for the companions to choose either one. As it was, the Prophet Muhammad he prayed after on the way. So his own practice actually confirms the decision of those who prayed on the way. But those who understood it in its literal sense were not disapproved of by the Prophet because what he had said had that implication. But this is what is meant by when we say the approvals of the Prophet It's an example of things which he approved. According to the science of fiqh, the Sunnah 
refers to whatever is authentically attributable to the Prophet Muhammad without being compulsory the doer of which is rewarded and the non-doer is not punished when we say that it is sunnah to do this this is the meaning that it is recommended for us to do this this is the understanding of the what they call the fuqaha, the scholars of law now for us when we're looking at the term sunnah it's important for us to look at it in the total sense in that whatever was conveyed to us by the Prophet Muhammad represents the Sunnah and what is included in that is the Quran itself we can say that the Quran is a part of the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad this is what he conveyed to us it was the word of God the direct word of God that is the major part of his sunnah however at the same time there were other pieces of information which he conveyed to us which went along with the Quran it is not included within the text of the Quran but came along with the Quran and it was also based on revelation from Allah as Allah says in the Quran وَمَا يَنْتُقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَىٰ إِلَّا وَحْلٌ يُوحَىٰ that he does not speak from his own desires when speaking in relationship to things concerning the religion he's not speaking of his own desires what he speaks is revelation which has been revealed to him so the Sunnah includes both the Quran as well as the other commandments and prohibitions which the Prophet gave which are not found within the Quran itself now the relationship between these prohibitions and commands to the Quran is primarily that of clarification the Prophet acted as the one who clarified for us the meanings of the Quran itself we have in Surah Nahl verse 44 Allah says وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الذِّكْرَ لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا نُزِلَ إِلَيْهِمْ and we have revealed to you Muhammad وسلم, the reminder of the Quran in order that you may explain to the people what has been revealed to them is Allah telling that there is an explanation which has to come along with the Quran for it to be clearly understood this is obvious to us when we look at the various practices concerning uh, the pillars of Islam etc Allah tells us after the salah establish the prayer but he does not explain what are the conditions for prayer you know in terms of tahara etc 
uh, he does not explain in the Quran itself the methodology of the prayer starting with takbir you know placing the hands what is said etc all this comes from the sunnah the Quran represents the basic principles and the sunnah represents the clarification or further explanation of those principles so that we may be able to implement them completely we also find the sunnah acting as a resolution for disagreements which develop amongst people whether in the time of the Prophet Muhammad or in the times after him we have Allah saying in the Quran in Surah Nahl also in verse 64 وَمَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ إِلَّا لِتُبَيِّنَ لَهُمْ الَّذِي اُخْتُلِفَ فِيهِ هُدًا وَرَحْمَةً لِقَوْمٍ يُؤْمِنُونَ And we have not revealed the book to you except in order that you may clarify for them that in which they differed providing for them guidance and mercy those among them who believe the sunnah not only acts in that fashion in clarifying for us differences which we may hold but also Allah has insisted that this sunnah be accepted by all of us this clarification, this resolution of our differences must be accepted. Not only do we recognize it as functioning like that, but we must also accept it. When that decision comes from the Prophet ﷺ, we must also accept it. We find Allah saying in Surah An-Nisa, verse 65, they do not truly believe by God, by your Lord until they make you the judge for disputes which develop amongst them and they accept what you have judged or what you have ruled without finding in themselves any displeasure Allah is saying this by your Lord swearing by himself they have not truly believed until they make you that judge for the disputes and not only do we have to make the Prophet Muhammad the judge for our disputes but also when he has given the judgment not only do we have to accept it but we have to accept it wholeheartedly not accept it half-heartedly well because the Prophet said to I will do it but inside myself I really don't want to do it no this is not sufficient it is essential for us to be in a state of correct belief that we accept the decisions of the Prophet wholeheartedly And we find throughout the Quran many verses in which Allah has commanded the believers to follow whatever the Prophet Muhammad has brought. 
for example in Surah Al-Hashr verse 7 Allah says وَمَا أَتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ وَمَا نَحَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُوهُ whatever the Prophet Muhammad Sallam has given you you should take it and whatever he has forbidden you you should leave he also said قُلْ أَطِيعُ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ فَإِنْ تَوَلَّهُ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْكَافِرِينَ Say, Muhammad Sallam say to them obey Allah and obey the messenger and if they turn back verily Allah does not like the disbelievers those who turn back from obedience to Allah and his messenger Allah here describes them as disbelievers it's an act of disbelief when we say La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah this is saying that we will obey Allah not only that we recognize Allah as God the creator sustainer and that Muhammad was the last messenger but also that we must obey Allah and that we must also obey the Prophet because Allah has made no distinction between obedience to himself and obedience to the Prophet Muhammad in fact he has said in Surah Al-Nisa verse 80 مَنْ يُطِعِ الرَّسُولِ فَقَدْ أَطَاعَ اللَّهِ Whoever obeys the messenger has obeyed Allah This is very essential for us to understand the significance and the importance of the Sunnah because this is what we are talking about here Obedience to Prophet Muhammad that is following the commandments of the Sunnah is obedience to Allah we cannot please Allah except by following the messenger of Allah and Allah has said that very clearly in Surah Ali Imran verse 31 قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ Say Muhammad If you love Allah Then follow me And Allah will love you And forgive you Your sins We cannot gain The love of Allah Except by following The messenger of Allah This is The position of the sunnah in Islam it cannot be separated from the Quran because it includes the Quran it explains the Quran it resolves our differences it is the commandment of God we cannot worship Allah except through the Sunnah of Rasulullah <coughs> For Christians, this principle became so distorted that they came to understand that they could only worship Allah by worshiping Him through Rasulullah, that is, Prophet Isa. For us, this is not the case. When we say we can only worship Allah, 
through the sunnah it doesn't mean through Muhammad in the sense of worshipping him using his name to worship Allah no we mean that it is only by the method which he has brought that we can worship Allah correctly any other way is incorrect Allah has made that very clear obedience to Rasulullah is obedience to Allah then Allah goes on further to warn those people who would disobey the commandments of Rasulullah in Surah Nur verse 64 he says فَلْيَحْذَرِ الَّذِينَ يُخَالِفُونَ عَنْ أَمْرِ and to see them fitna or to see them adabun alim let those who would go against your command the command of the Prophet beware be warned that they will be afflicted by trials <coughs> or a severe punishment this is warning this is the Quran this is what we are supposed to be absorbing from the Quran when we are reading the Quran these are the verses these are the kind of verses that should be ringing bells in our heads when we hear that verse warning about contradicting the commandments of the Prophet Allah in Surah Al-Ahzab verse 36 also says وَمَا كَانَ لِمُؤْمِنَ وَلَا مُؤْمِنَ إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ وَرَسُولَهُ أَمْرًا أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُمُ الْخِيَرَةِ مِنْ أَمْرِهِمْ وَمَنْ يَعْصِ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولَهُ فَقَدْ ضَلَّ ضَلَالًا مُبِينًا It is not for a believer, male or female, to have any choice in a matter in which Allah and His Messenger have made a decision. For whoever disobeys Allah and His Messenger has gone far astray. This is the one. We have no choice. For us to disobey Allah is to bring down on ourselves the curse of Allah. <coughs> These are the things which have been commanded and prohibited. Clear to But the Sunnah goes even beyond that. It goes even into areas where the Prophet Muhammad Sallam has done certain things and we reject these things even though they're not commanded in other words if the Prophet does something it is not for us to feel in any way shape or form that it is not suitable for us to do it is incorrect to have this feeling 
particularly in the case, case of confession. For example, Aisha said that the Prophet on one occasion did something which had a confession in it. In other words, confession meaning that there was something which was required normally. Prophet did something which indicated to us that you don't have to do this thing. You know, there's a confession here. Like, for example, praying two units instead of four for Zuhur after an Isha in the traveling. This is a concession done by the Prophet Muhammad <coughs> There was an occasion, Aisha reports, she didn't specify what this particular act was, but she did an act in which there was a concession. Some people shunned it. They said, we wouldn't do this. When the Prophet Muhammad heard that, he got so angry, he got angry until it became obvious in his face. He was angry. He went amongst them and he praised Allah and he said, What is wrong with people who keep themselves aloof from what I have done? By Allah, I know Allah better than them and I fear Allah more than them. So even the very things in which there are concessions, it is not befitting for us to feel we don't need to take it, or it is better we don't take this concession which Allah has given us through His message. You can see the Prophet anger over this. On another occasion reported by Alice, a group of three people came to the houses of the Prophet Muhammad wives and asked them about the way in which the Prophet ﷺ used to worship. When they informed them of how it was, these people said, Who are we in comparison to the Prophet ﷺ, whose past and future sins have been forgiven by Allah? <coughs> One of them said, As for me, I will pray all night continuously. Another said, I will fast all day and night without breaking fast. The third said, I will avoid women and never get married. When the messenger heard this, he called them and he said, Is it you who said so and so? By Allah, I fear Allah more than you, and I am more conscious of Him than you. Yet I fast and break my fast, I pray and sleep, and I marry women. So whoever prefers other than my sunnah is not of me. فَمَنْ رَغِبَ عَنْ سُنَّةِ فَلَيْسَ Whoever feels a preference to something which is opposite or goes against the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad is not a true Muslim. Laysa minni, not of me, meaning that he's not of my true follower. Such a person, male or female, is not a true Muslim. This is why we also find Prophet saying on other occasions that none of you have truly believed until I become more beloved to him than his wife, his children, and all of mankind. <coughs>
That's the love. The love for his sunnah. Not the love that some people tend to think love here means now that when you hear the Prophet's name, your eyes must now be filled with tears and you know, you love him like the way you love, you know, your child or somebody who you see and you know. No. This is not the kind of love which the Prophet is speaking about. He's talking about obedience. The love which leads to complete obedience. Is that love <coughs> the same which is in relationship to Allah complete obedience what we even find is that one who turns away from the sunnah deliberately is cursed not only is he not a true Muslim but he is cursed and on one particular occasion in the time of the Prophet we found an instance in which Salama ibn Aqwa reported that a man ate with his left hand in front of the Messenger of Allah. And the Prophet said to him, Eat with your right. He replied, I can't. The Prophet then said, You will not be able. For it is on the basis of his pride by which he was prevented. And Salama said, the man's hand became paralyzed and he wasn't able to raise it to his mouth. This man eating with his left hand in front of the Messenger of Allah. The Prophet tells him, eat with your right. And the man says, I can't. Not because he can't, but he's tried. So, he is cursed by the Messenger of Allah and the man's hand was paralyzed. This is what potentially can happen to any one of us who deliberately turns away from the Sunnah of the Prophet. It's not to say each and every one of us if we eat with our left that this is going to happen, but this is the potential. This happened in the time of the Prophet because his curse was there directly on this man. But Allah has warned us in the Quran in general that for those of us who go against the ruling we are likely to be afflicted by trials and a severe punishment. Either trials in this life or a severe punishment in the next life. There is no escape. If one disobeys the Prophet and goes against his Sunnah we will be punished. If we are punished in this life it's a mercy from Allah. If the punishment is saved to the next life, then we'll really have it. So, this shows us that the Sunnah is not something which we should look at lightly. Now people say, 
You should do this. Oh, it's sunnah. It's only sunnah. No. Whatever the Prophet Muhammad has commanded us, has shown us, we should take as being the best way for us. As Allah said in the Quran, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ There is in the Messenger of Allah the best of examples. Either we believe what Allah has said, or we don't. Because when we are saying, it's only sunnah, what we are saying in fact is that it's not that important. It isn't the best thing for us to do. It's only sunnah. It's nice, but you don't have to do it. No. This is not the way that we should approach the sunnah. What the Prophet has commanded us to do, we should try our utmost. Whatever we can. Whatever he has prohibited us from doing, we should try our utmost to avoid. Whatever he has recommended for us to do, we should again strive our utmost to do. Whatever he has discouraged us from doing, we should try our utmost to avoid. This is how we should approach it. The scholars of Fiqh, of Islamic law, they have broken it down in terms of reward and punishment. You see, and sometimes we get caught up in this, you know. Is there a reward for it? Yes, okay, we'll do it. No reward? No, we don't do it. If we don't do it, is there any punishment? No? Okay, forget it. So we get caught up in the, the, the numbers. But in fact, this is not the spirit of the Sunnah. The spirit of the Sunnah is to follow whatever the Prophet Muhammad has given us. Or recommend itself. And to avoid whatever he has prohibited or despised. This is the spirit, the true spirit of the Sunnah. The opposite of that is what we call Bidah. Literally, Bidah means an innovation, a novelty, anything invented or originated. Anything made or brought into existence newly for the first time, it not having existed before. <coughs> Whether good or evil, approved or disapproved. That's the linguistic meaning. Something newly done. But according to the religion, it represents an addition or novelty in religion, in the religious affairs, after its completion. A heretical innovation or an action at variance with the Sunnah. An action in which the pleasure of Allah is sought, which has no authentic legal sanction, in fact, or by implication. Something new in the religious practices, which has no basis in the teachings of the Quran or the Sunnah. And we know the term Badia, 
Allah refers to himself as Badir the originator of the heavens and the earth. This is where the word bid'ah comes from. And Allah refers to the Christians who set up the system of monasticism in, in the chapter of Hadith, verse 27, And the monasticism which they invented, which we did not prescribe for them. In the time of the Prophet Muhammad there were certain innovations which the companions of the Prophet Muhammad did. Some of them he approved and some of them he disapproved. An example of those disapproved were those of those companions who said they weren't going to get married, they were going to fast all day, all night. This, this, this was Zidah. This is an innovation. We're introducing something new. These things were <coughs> disapproved of by the Prophet. At the same time, there were some things which were approved. In the case of Bilal ibn Rabah, he started the practice of praying two units of prayer after every event and making wudu whenever he broke wudu. Whenever he did any of the acts which break your state of purity, he used to go ahead and make wudu again. And he used to make two units of prayer after every wudu. These three practices, Prophet approved of and blessed and recommend it. Now what does it mean? Does it mean that we can come along and bring two units of prayer say before Eid prayer? Yeah. Or make an adhan for Eid? Can we do this? These were not done in the time of the Prophet. No. Those things which the companions did, which were approved by the Prophet Muhammad become a part of the Sunnah. Those which he disapproved become a part of the Bid'ah. Since the Prophet is no longer present to confirm anything that we might do, anything we then do becomes bid'ah, which has not been approved by the Prophet So we cannot take the fact that some of the companions did something as basis for us to go and do these things which were not done before. Only the things which are approved by the Prophet we may use as form of worship. Because when a person decides to innovate in the religion, he is saying one of two, of two things. Either one, the religion is not complete, and Allah has already said, 
اليوم اتممت لكم دينكم واتممت عليكم نعمتي ورضيت لكم الاسلام دينا today i completed for you your religion and uh, completed my favor on you and i'm pleased with islam as your only religion allah said it so for us to bring something new thinking that we are completing this is kufr it's either we are saying that or we are implying that Prophet Muhammad Sallam did not fulfill his job of bringing to us all that we needed to know of the religion that we have to come along now and add something to finish off the job of the Prophet Muhammad Sallam and this again is kufr to say that the Prophet Muhammad Sallam did not complete the bringing of the message Allah has told him you know in a number of verses O Messenger convey to the people what has been revealed to you Aisha has stated in no uncertain terms whoever tells you that Muhammad has hidden anything which he was commanded to convey has created a great lie against Allah and then she recited the verse Ya ayyuhal nabi balligh ma unzila ilayka min rabbik O Prophet convey what has been revealed to you from your Lord it's Allah's command so we cannot come along today or attempt to complete what the Prophet Muhammad has completed especially considering the fact that he has stated ما تركت شيئا يقربكم الى الله الا وامرتكم به هذا نفس انت which will bring you closer to Allah except that I have commanded you to do means there is nothing nothing that we can think of that we can do which will bring us closer to Allah which is pleasing to Allah which the Prophet Muhammad Sallam has not already told us to do If he hasn't told us to do it, then be sure it is not pleasing to Allah. It will not bring us closer to Allah. It will take us farther away from Allah. And it is displeasing to Allah. That's why Prophet Muhammad said, Man ahdata fi amrina, ma laysa minhu fahuarad. Whoever brings something new in this affair of ours, in Islam, it will not be accepted. It will be rejected. 